Yeah, the only person that can walk in to a king, you know, especially in that culture when these things were written, to walk into the, the throne room of a king and not have their head lopped off like you do not belong in here is their five-year-old son can march right in there, you know, and throw the ball around or whatever. Dad's over here like running the country, but I have access to it. And that's the access that Hebrews is promising us. Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and I'm glad to be back, back in the saddle in the podcast room with my good friends, Darren and Micah. Was this your first vacation without the children's? It was our first vacation. Um, You know, what's the difference between a vacation and a getaway? I guess it's the duration. Maybe, yeah. I mean, you know, Jen and I have done a couple of getaways, like a couple day getaways without the kids. But this was the first like week long, seven day trip, no kids since our honeymoon. Woke up from like with the beach on in front of you. Yeah, yeah. So twenty two years ago. Wow. So I should probably do better at va- get. I should probably get better at vacationing. It's it. It is easier now that your nest is empty because you're not trying <laughs> to figure easier. out football schedules and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you I mean you obviously you've got a. You and I didn't grow up in like vacationing kind of homes. Like, did you guys do vacation vacations? I mean, not. Yeah, I mean, once a year we would do something like um, go see grandma and grandpa or like. Go to Region, Columbus to the museum. Regional vacations. I remember. I do remember one year. I was probably seven or eight. We we went down to Myrtle Beach, and so from Central Ohio to Myrtle Beach is not close. No, that's not near. Dude, how many times did you guys have to stop? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Did you stop it halfway through? Forever. Get a hotel, <laughs> like a Best Western. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, like and, and just time. going to a hotel was the vacation. Like as a kid, right? Staying somewhere else. Let the chambermaid clean it up. <laughs> No, it was a really good time. The beach is always good. I, I felt I've never felt so lazy in my life. Like did, just sat on the beach. Did for, it feel good or did you feel shame? No, I felt great. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of work over the past few years uh-huh. to where I wasn't feeling the shame that I used to. That's good, man. That's progress. <laughs> I actually felt like like I deserved it. I feel uh, <laughs> bored is what I feel. So it's like I don't I'm past the shame part. It's just like, oh man, I'm just sitting here like a cat. Like, was, yeah, but I was so comfortable and the breeze felt so good and the something about the waves, the sound, the motion. I might have been bored, but I didn't care. Interesting. See, my wife can do that. Like she 100% vacations like a cat. Like she just lays here <laughs> and then she'll just roll over and lay a little bit there and then just lay a little bit more yeah in front of the ocean like, you know, and she'll like she'll listen maybe to an Kind of, she might get through an audiobook, but she'll like fall asleep mostly. I don't know. I just came away just very um, still. I mean, every time I go to the ocean, I um, I just it's I'm mesmerized by how grounding the sound of the ocean is for my for my soul. Well, you may you may have missed this because you were on vacation, but last week there was some a study released that there is an actual correlation between calming anxiety. And depression 
and water. <laughs> wow. Like the call, that's actually not like a placebo. There's something that sitting in front of an ocean with waves actually does. And you know, God only knows how much government money was spent on that to uh, find <laughs> right. out. But I'm like, well, you should have just asked my wife. She could have told you that. She could have verified well, it. But it's true because uh, I definitely felt a calming after sitting out there for several days, just soaking yeah. it all up. So when when you were away. in the music days, how many of those did you turn into? Um, like they're playing Six Flags or something. So I'm going to take the kids to. Yeah, we for trip. sure did that. We yeah. for sure did that. I remember one year we did a um, we did a K Love cruise. We took the boys with us on a K Love cruise. We had a, a couple artists performing on that. Did they tuck all you guys into one of those little rooms? Oh yeah, all four of you. Oh yeah. Ooh, mom and dad uh, were not. Uh, that was not mom and dad week. Like, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> if this cabin doors are rocking, don't come and knock it. Like that wasn't happening that week, was it? Family friendly, positive and encouraging cruise ship that week. <laughs> We're gonna drop the boys off at the at the nursery for, for a little morning delight. <laughs> but that was fun because it was, uh, you know, it was a chance, you know, to take a a paid for vacation. Yeah. Uh, with with the kids, they were probably eight or nine at the time so you know going out to a royal caribbean island in the middle of nowhere coco what was it called coco k coco k island coco k out in the caribbean huh. so you probably won't find this surprising at all but i never we never did those because like my idea of a nightmare is being locked on a boat with my clients for like a week <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's some pros and cons to doing a trip like that i mean the pro is that it was a free vacation um you know you're working but you're not working you know and it's you're, you're in the caribbean islands uh the con is exactly that yeah you're talking about the next tour well like we're trying you're to get wheeling here. and yeah. dealing because yeah. all the other artist managers are on the boat your yeah. agents are on the boat uh yeah i mean you're you're definitely you know working it as yeah. well which you know I, I didn't really mind that much honestly because the kids they could just go go play and gin with you know, make it happen with the with the kids. But I remember the first time we had to go to a theme park after getting out of the music business. So we were going as a civilian now, which meant we had to wait in lines and had to pay. Yeah, no fast pass for tickets. And yeah, like my kids were completely unaware that that's how the rest of the world operated. Right. Like when you went to Disney, oh yeah, like they they gave you a handler. Did you ever do this? And they give you a handler, not a joy. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm not Michael Jackson. Like I don't need a handler. But you'd go, you'd get to the ride, go do the thing, and they'd take you down underneath the yeah, and you get a little Disney car, or whatever, walk to the next ride. And, I never felt more important and more like a a really powerful individual than at Disney. Than at Disney, yeah, being assigned a person. Oh. And just walking on to any ride yeah. as many times as I wanted at the very front. Yeah. So my kids just <laughs> thought that's kind of how the world worked. Like, they never thought we were important. They, I don't know what they thought. But I just remember getting going to Dollywood for the first time as a civilian. Right. Um, we actually got free tickets. Shout out to Chris Markgraf on that. Um, but we... We had to wait in line for rides, and they're just like, what is this? It's like waiting for like 20 minutes. Who does that? For like this one-minute ride? I'm like, yeah, that's how the world works. <laughs> that's how the regular world works. But um, And we just stopped going to theme parks after that because I realized I don't like this either. This is not that enjoyable where it's hot and sweaty and standing in lines. And so The glory days. The glory days. Well, you guys did a great job last week. Um, 
having Joel and Joey in here. Did you listen while you were on vacation? Could you could you keep yourself from it? I couldn't. <laughs> I realized how what, long did you give it after it dropped? Like did you like that no like morning? that day? Like I, it was Wednesday, and I'm like, I'm like looking at my watch, I'm like wait a minute, what time's it drop? Yeah, because I get the email because of how our you know our systems are. Like mm-hmm. I get like I get a notification when it gets uploaded, and and so I'm like, oh yeah, today's Wednesday. Let's see what they had to say. So I sat on the beach and listened. They did a great job. Yeah, it's it a really important conversation. And so yeah. if, you, if you haven't heard or listened to our podcast from last week, um, we would encourage that, especially especially if you have children or teens. Uh, it's worth a listen. Yeah. This week, you finished, you taught and finished chapter one of John as we're going through our Believe series through the book of John, the gospel according to John. And uh, yeah, we, you were able to, we were able to wrap up the first chapter. Right. Three weeks. Like, I feel like that's a, it's a good pace. Average pace. Yeah, I was going to say good pace, but it's probably average. It's probably average. It could have been slower. I mean, your company, a couple of your original oh, yeah. calendar scheduling for what the first chapter could look like was going to be a little longer than just three weeks. So. Yeah. I mean, literally, <laughs> like people have like done entire commentaries around that first yeah. chapter alone. So yeah, a lot in there. Felt like we were cruising. And we only had uh, we only had a handful of people storm out angry and leave. So, you know, that's a Oh man, a yeah. Win. It did happen this week. We had to uh, there's a particular part of the teaching that you get to um, <laughs> we'll talk about here in a second that uh, promptly exited uh, a few folks each service. Yeah. It's hard from my vantage to tell. So the the I have to go to the bathroom immediately right now is a very similar departure as I'm mad about. I'm what furious you said. Yeah. and I'm leaving this place forever. And I'm going to give you a bad review on Google. They're the exact same kind of exit. So <laughs> the haste. <laughs> yeah, there's like a there's a purpose and urgency to their departure. <laughs> and so there was a, a couple. I'm like, okay, I don't think they'd be mad, but. You never know. Then there was one like, "Oh, that one's mad." Oh yeah, yeah. They were they were vocal about it when they when they walked out the door. They made sure to let us know that they would not be back, um, which is kind of a bummer. I mean, I'm. You could if my mom hadn't died, you could ask her. But I'm I'm a likable guy. Like <laughs> I'm one of the nicest guys I know. Like you gonna be storming out on me? It's just, yeah, because we were talking about identity, yeah. and uh, that was the theme of, of this week's teaching. And you know, the, it's kind of a it's kind of a buzzword in our culture is identity. Mm-hmm. How do you identify? What do you identify as? So you taught a little bit about that, taken from the the last part of John chapter one, where Jesus is talking about it. Yeah, the when you get into the what's what's happening in the early stages of Jesus ministry is his cousin John I mean which is a wild thought like not just like a distant cousin like cousin cousin cuz and in that culture especially families were super tight mm-hmm. you know oh, yeah. so he's got a cousin um who's been out there baptizing people making us making a little bit of a scene and at some point John figures out two things one he the identity of his cousin like explains all that weird stuff when he was a kid, like walking on the bathwater and stuff. He's like, that explains everything. And then, uh, he, but he also figures out who he is as well. And they, I don't know if they happened at the exact same time, but if you can 
answer those two questions, who is Jesus, then who am I, becomes a way easier question to answer. But both of those are questions we've got to answer at some point in our life. Who is Jesus? Is he who he said he was? And and then based on that, then who, who am I? And that's the end of chapter John, or chapter John, John chapter one, is John figuring out who he was and who Jesus is. And to be really clear for those that may not know that, John, disciple John, you have John the Baptist. Yep. You have two different Johns going on here. That's right. Yep. John the Baptist, uh, not the Episcopalian or the Lutheran, but the Baptist. The Baptist. Who was very fashion forward. John yeah. The Baptist yeah. Was. With all the locusts and the, the wild furry things. Like, yeah. I mean, he was trendsetter. He, he was Bear Grylls, man. Gosh, he was. He's like, you know, he wasn't eating locusts because uh, like he, he made some sort of a vow. It's just like if you're living in a desert. That's what you eat. Yeah. We're like, you know. And you dip it in honey. Yeah. Delicious. Apparently. I'm going to have to have trust Have you ever my... tried that? Mm-mm. Nope. Is that anything you've come across as like a um, like a treat overseas? Yeah. There uh, there are a couple of cultures that'll throw some uh, some crickets in the pot. With like, uh, like flavored? Uh, are they like sunflower seeds where you can get like ranch flavored, barbecue flavored? <laughs> yeah, but it would be more like vomit flavored, oh, candy apple, orange, like just the, the season. I don't know what the seasoning is. But it's not delicious. Huh. For a cricket? For a cricket, yeah. And they're crunchier than you want them to be. Well. But, and then like the little stringy thing gets, I don't know if it's an antenna. Like it's not, uh, and I've only done that like a time. The the worst was actually eating cat. Oh. You've, you've, uh, so the people that, you know, that get up and walk out when you teach, that just happened uh, while they're listening to this. They yeah. just turned it off. Well, and, you know, to be clear, I didn't cook the cat, but this is what was served to you. Yeah, Haitians love cat. Oh, man. Like you walk around a Haitian village and you will not see cats wandering around um, because it's like the ice cream truck, man. They get stoked <laughs> like when a cat like I remember the f- first time I realized it was like 2011. A cat came by and these construction workers were doing a building. It was literally like the ice cream truck. They were so excited. And they had that thing cooked and uh, served within an hour. So wow. I'm like, I, you know, this is my daughter may never forgive me, but I've got to at least try this. And then West Africa, it, it's dog. And if you, by the way, you ask a Haitian about eating a dog and they're like, oh, that is disgusting. You know, it's with no sense of irony. Yeah. While eating a cat leg. But you ask a West African about eating a, a cat and they're like, that is disgusting. Well, you know, while eating a, a hindquarter of a dog. With it, so John was eating what was uh, what was available to him, not because he was uh, some religious vow. That was like his options. His wardrobe was what he could kill, and his uh, diet was what he could gather and kill. So you posed three questions: Who is John? Who is Jesus? Who am I? And um, again, the central th- thought here is identity. What is your identity? Who, who, or what do you put your identity yeah. in? Which again is a uh, a very relevant question. It's weird because you think back to it, like it's always been relevant. I just don't think I realized how relevant because I just sort of took for granted some of the more common sense and obvious things. And I didn't really understand, especially as a young guy, I didn't understand the implications. We weren't. Why do you think it's so pervasive in culture right now, this identity question in, in modern culture today? So I have a theory. On this, and it has to do with the way that a society actually comes unglued and unhinged, um, is through 
identity. When you look at the wars of the Middle East or the wars of Africa, they're identity wars. They're tribes going after each other. It's why, you know, at one point we were in the Middle East. Americans were fighting against ISIS besides Iranians. Like we were literally beside the Iranian troops. Right. Right. But the minute that ISIS was out of the way, we're back to fighting each other again because it's, it was never about we were on each other's side. There was an identity in, in that. And inside of the Middle East, it's not just even Shia versus Sunni Islam. It's like the little subsets of tribes and in between the Kurds versus the Syrians versus Iranians versus, you know, it's the Persians. The, it, it's tribal. And when you look back over history, uh, like when you look into, like, say, the Roman Republic in the uh, like 32 – Ooh, I want to say 32 BC. So this is like 30 years before Jesus even comes on the scene. And what was pulling apart and destroyed the Roman Republic and made it into an empire and a, and a totalitarian regime was they started splitting up amongst identities inside of the Roman Republic. Their Senate was was gridlocked. They were investigating, uh, you know, the constant. The, 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 it, it was literally like you could just map it and put it on top of us. And inside of that, there were the identities of um, like one of the things that caused Mark Antony to be re rejected by the Roman people was his relationship with Cleopatra because she was an Egyptian. And so she was considered not Roman and he lost the support of the people because of her identity inside of the Roman Republic. It was the, the, the it was divided by the classes and they were trying to overthrow the, the top. And it, it's literally what I think it's how we're wired as humans that we want to be a part of a tribe. And once we're in it, we will literally um, burn ourselves to the ground based on an identity that is – which is why it's so important that to, to ground and establish your identity like John was doing from the word of God and not from culture, not from politics, not from skin color, not from gender or sexuality, but from the word of God. But I just – it feels like this is what Romans 1 is all about. And at some point, identity is just a victim of, uh, of our sin. Yeah, no, that's really good breakdown. I, I do think that you're right in the fact that, you know, historically, these identity clashes have been, you know, based upon the country you're from, your skin color, your ethnicity. And it feels like that's moved from like a tribal, um, a, a tribal starting point to an ideological division now. Like mm. it's not necessarily like ethnicity as it is, these identities are now wrapped up in our ide ideologies, our ideas, mm -hmm. um, which fractures it and splinters it 10 times more than it used to. Yeah. And when you think about it from that, where our Western culture is right now, the thing that social media has allowed for is for us to find and, and sometimes oftentimes like create a tribe that didn't even exist before. Right. Exactly. Cause now I've found my sense of belonging, my, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of meaning, you know, I'm, I'm in, I've got these needs met in my life and it has, it's very at the core of it, just the Romans one humanity, um, at work. And so whether it's through, um, sexuality or gender, which has become a, and when weirdly enough, sexuality was the, the hot point for a long time. And now it's like gender has become the, uh, an identity that is a uh, non-negotiable that really hits a nerve with people. But 
at some point, like we're making up an identity out of nowhere based on how we feel, not based on any sense of reality. And, and that is something that's happening in our society right now. I, I feel like this. And so this is my identity. Um, and, and, and that was the talking point where you had folks walk out um, was just this, this what seemingly is a very basic um, thought of gender is not so basic anymore and you were you were kind of covering the news story about Demi Lovato and her change of change of heart perhaps I mean she changed how she felt like that's what that was fluid. the piece that she's fluid and what was uh, in, in this Washington Post piece that had just come out was that she had changed her um, she changed her gender identity again her pronouns which is what they're saying um, and when you think about it so I guess, what was it, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where she decided she identified as they, them. And according, here's why this is so important. Like, it's it, this stuff really matters, because based on that decision that she made, if you or I would have referred to her as her, she, her, on Twitter, that violates their hate speech, and you could have been banned for life. And people were. Wow. Banned for life. But now, like a year later, because she's changed her feelings about it, uh, those people are still canceled and still banned. And, you know, we, on the other hand, are like, OK, but do, what do I what do I call her now? And it's funny because even inside of the inside of the article, they're, they're sharing some social media posts who are arguing about what it really means. And, you know, she's, she's not saying she is a she now, but she is saying, you know, I'm like, no, that's actually what she did say. She said that, you know, and she said that she could change it next year. And the core of it, and, and which is really, which I honestly appreciated in this article, was without admitting it, they're admitting that this is not based on science at all. This is based on a choice that she made based on how she feels. And your feelings are a terrible place to build an identity from. I don't feel like doing this. I feel like I should do that. I feel... That's just a terrible place to be. It puts your, it literally puts the identity as a negotiating tool at this point. I'm now negotiating based on how I feel, and you have to figure that out. It, um, it, it's by no means is there any science involved, regardless of what our, insti our uh, educational institutions are saying right now. When you listen to what they, if you listen to any one of them who are saying these things that it's a, a social construct, whatever they're they're coming back to that is based you know, on the decision of the person's individuality and how they feel in that moment. I was reading a little bit more, kind of about this, and um, you know, it's kind of the old the old adage: we become what we behold. Mm. And um, you know, those things that we that we behold, those things that we lift up, those things that become important, is kind of who we become. And, and you know, it's 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 easier. To point out someone like Lovato, yeah. Um, the challenge then is like, okay, what is that looking like? What are the inconsistencies in my life, you know, in that in that regard? And it's easy for those identity that identity conversation to turn really quickly into idolatry. Hmm. Like the move from identity to idolatry can happen pretty quickly, especially in a, in American culture or Western culture. You know, I think we're just as guilty of this conversation in, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, in how we identify and how we align ourselves with academia, yep. academics, uh, and sports, sports culture. Like we, 
we identify as ourselves as, you know, really smart, want to be able to uh, get that degree, get that college scholarship and all the hoops and, and all the AP classes and courses to, yeah. to get the scholarship, maybe, you know, the things that came out these past couple of years of uh, cheating in order to get those scholarships. Right. Sports, starting at a very young age, youth sports, club sports, that becomes their identity and who they are that tries to carve a path of success and um, recognition Mm -hmm. for their child, maybe vicariously through a parent. (laughs) These are are some of the other facets of the same conversation. Somebody once said, probably was Tim Keller, might have been Scott Saul's, uh, one of the ways you know to identify whether something is an idol in your life is if it were taken away from you, like, is your life over at that point? Like, if I can't go on, I can't function, I can't, like, there's a, a clue that that's something that I have given preeminence over Christ in my life. And, and the, the danger of it is that it cannot bear the weight of that need, uh, which many parents my age figure out after they've spent their entire uh, last 18 years of their life on a soccer field on a Saturday morning um, so that their kid wouldn't get behind because someday they wanted him to get a scholarship only to find out at 18 years old their kid could care less about soccer and not interested in going to college. Like we, But we were very well-meaning parents. Are, it's not that they're trying to harm their children. They're literally, it's, there's this system that we have bought into that they have to get an education and they have to get it at a university, uh, which is where this, obviously, the the trillion, 1.7 trillion in student loans has come from is this idea that if we do not have a university education and it literally, by the time they're fourth, I mean, I remember third, you know, uh, three or four years old, like parents saying, we got to get, we got to get on the soccer team um, because they can't fall behind. They're four, but we're all down there freezing our butts off right on a Saturday morning. Uh, so they don't get behind. Um, and I'm, you know, Ethan's 17. Uh, I assure you, the last thing on his mind right now is uh, going to college for soccer uh, with it. And, you know, is it idolatry to work hard and, and put your kids in sports 100%? No. It's idolatry if that is now taken away from you and you, like, you've, like, like your life is over. You're having a 10 response to a, you know, five, to a five problem. Can you be disappointed and sad? Yeah, 100%. You got injured, can't play anymore. That's sad. But if you're devastated from it, and that's when you go back to, like, when I, with this gender thing, when I make a comment about gender and somebody's idol got punched and they got mad yeah. and walked out the door because yeah. that being taken away is not interesting to me. You know, that's an idol in your life. Yeah, exactly. And so it's 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 really incumbent upon us to take some inventory of our own lives and figure out what are those things that we are putting our identity in that are outside of Christ, which is your whole point, which is what Jesus was 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 shouting, was saying, like, look, I am I am here. <laughs> I have come. Yeah. And what John was shouting, I am not him. I'm not the the people and for sure in Middle Tennessee where this hits real close to home is are you the Messiah? No. Are you a prophet? No. Are you like he's? These are things that the Jewish people wanted him to be, and if he'd have said he was, they'd have probably welcomed him right in. They're looking for that. They're looking for a, a hero to come and save them. For us to understand that, 
if you are uh, if you're in politics, if you're a teacher, if you're a medical professional, if you're a videographer, your job is not to save the world. Your job is to point to the person who is here to save the world. That's an important job. John John the Baptist it quotes uh, chapter forty verse three of Isaiah. I am the voice of the one you know in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Like that's our role. Our identity is not Jesus, and it's just as important to know who we're not because it's a process of elimination. I can narrow it down. And I mean, goodness, everything from, you know, marriages to parenting, to being a pastor. I mean, good Lord, we biggest temptation in the world is to the Messiah complex. Right. Right. To it's now my job to be the one to say the smart things and to be the smart guy and to save the world. And, and that is not at all what Jesus called us to do, but to point to the one who does. There's a conversation here to be had as well concerning technology and artificial intelligence and algorithms and how all of this kind of plays into identities being um, defined because we're on this weird path of tech um, that's that's getting more and more and more complicated Um, because at the end of the day, there's still humans having to program these things. But after they're programmed, the way algorithms work, they take in more data and more data and more data. And the more data it takes in, it then runs those calculations to predict the next thing. Mm-hmm. You combine that with, um, you know, science and human. So, you know, the, the biology and the technology come together and some weird things are happening. Yeah. Like the it's funny because someone might hear you say that and think, well, they just popped the clutch. But this is so important because, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, is another way of saying identity. Like this is the identity of who this this being, this computer, this machine is. And, you know, I've, I've learned a lot in the last year trying to understand, like, what's the deal here? Like, what are these guys like? What is it that's got Mark Zuckerberg betting the farm on this? Because he doesn't need the headache. He doesn't need a job. Like, he's got plenty to do. So what is it about this? Because at first glance, I'm thinking, I'm not going to run around wearing goggles and, you know, in the metaverse or whatever world he's talking about. But but when you listen to what they're talking about, the idea of programming artificial intelligence to be able to, to serve, to be like an addition to you as a human. But they have to start with the premise of how do you program what goes into the identity? And that's what you're talking about. Like, the, how do I know this, this being, this computer, this machine, who is it? Are they good? Are they bad? And what's simultaneously hilarious and sad uh, is that one of the ways that they've done that is it literally they, they program it to scrape the Internet for how humans respond in situations and use that information to create the identity and all the tests so far have come back with a very uh, hateful, racist, angry. Uh, there was something, um, man, it was last week or the week before, there was a piece that was floating around that uh, whatever they've been working on at Facebook, one of the problems is, is that, it, uh, that it hates Zuckerberg. <laughs> that, they, <laughs> that the AI keeps like badmouthing Zuck. Like, but that's if you're scraping, the, you're, what you're doing when you're scraping the Internet is you're scraping the inner hearts of humanity. 
So you're collecting the the data. It's it's literally like a computer version of proving that Romans one is true. That at our core, the line of good and evil does not go between a group of people. It goes through the hearts of each of us individually. Which brings up another point too of like there's the 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 pervasive nature of humanism and secularism at every front here in Western culture in America is something we need to be on guard for that. We are inherently good that we are, that we need to be, um, to have self-reflection that the inner part of us, uh, can be actualized and realized like the best part of us is to come. Um, that ideology is, is hitting us from a bunch of different places. Start in getting younger and younger and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious to your thought on just the humanism and secularism kind of being the 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 pervasive religion of the day. You don't. You hear it everywhere if you listen for it, and when you usually hear it, it's in the surprise of the person that's talking about it when they'll say something like, "I thought we were further along than this." Yeah. Boy, I'm surprised that we're still having this conversation in 2022. I thought we would be more sophisticated than this. And they have confused our ability to advance technology with our ability to advance um, our humanity. And at the end of the day, we might be smarter, like we might know more information. And we are still stuck. Every therapist's office, every – I mean, there's literally – addiction centers with waiting lists of people who are making decisions that are actually beneath their, their intelligence, meaning on paper, this looks incredibly stupid, but I'm doing it anyway. Why is it? I should be able to do this, but I can't. And it's, it's Romans six, seven, and eight. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? But that's the, the, the secular humanism, whether you listen to Zuckerberg or Joe Rogan, um, and by the way, many preachers, and we could fall into it even in our own, is that the idea that um, I have now, uh, in fact, you live in here, the language evolved into, like, the, the, they're using that word very, like, on purpose, like, evolved. Uh, I thought we've evolved further than this. Because then the idea of evolution is that we actually are getting better, not worse. Um, it's a demonstrably false premise uh, across humanity. The smarter you get doesn't mean anything. It just means what we've learned here is uh, being a pastor in Williamson County, right, is that you just have a bigger house and you can try a whole lot more stupid things. When I was young and broke, I, 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 uh, there was a lot of ideas I had that I just couldn't afford to try. Turns out if you have a big house and a lot of money, you can do some really dumb things that you are way too smart to do. But that's because at the core, we are not evolving as humans. We are in need of a savior, the Messiah, to come and to transform our souls as Jesus promised he would do. And any political party, any media uh, idea, like they are all, if it is about we humans getting better at it, um, we're all going to fail at that because we're not. We all need a savior. We are all on a level playing field in front of the cross. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I coach football um, in the fall, little middle school football. Coach Mo. <laughs> I love it. I've been doing it for a long time. I really do enjoy it. Do you yell at the kids? Um. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's middle schoolers. How can you not? There's right. times where it calls for it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's usually like hustle up, get your helmet on, let's go, hurry up. You know, it's just you know teenage boys. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the things that we it's like it's it's inevitable and it's so predictable is like so we'll huddle up, we'll give a play call, 
and then they go to their positions to run the play. And it's amazing how much information that they forget from the huddle to their to the position. Like it's like three <laughs> seconds. Like we just made a play call. Okay, like we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know hut on on one. We're gonna go on one. You mm-hmm. know, or we're gonna go on two. This is a this is the play is happening on two. Ready, set, hut, hut. And they forget that by the time they get into their positions and we run the play, hmm. which is like five seconds, 10 seconds at the most. And it's like, oh, I forgot the play call, you know? And it's just so, it's so predictable and it's amazing. But I think of that too, like when we get together on Sundays, right? And we just had a, a great word was spoken, the spirit moved and, you know, we were taught and learned something that day. And by Wednesday, you know, our phones are blowing up because somebody just, you know, made a terrible decision or something. We, it's like we just talked about no, this. We just <laughs> talked about this. And here's the thing, man. Like, the, like when you think about uh, like Musk and his desire to put a chip in your brain, mm. like what, he, what he's saying is that it'll make us smarter. It'll make us be able to recall information quicker. It'll, he is solving an intelligence problem that uh, is not the problem. The problem is not our intelligence. And the problem is our souls and our conscience. There's not a chip to make you not lust after a female as a 16-year-old boy or a 51-year-old man. That's not an intelligence thing. I know better than that. So my decisions have to be transformed from the inside out, not from a chip that now tells me. Because I've heard these conversations, whether it's with Andreessen or Peter Thiel, these technologists that have differing ideas as to what... um, as to what even AI is and how it's going to our future and creating uh, AI at the core of it. The, the, these guys are trying to solve a brain problem when there's a, when it's a heart problem that we have, like they would even, I bet they would even say that our physical, like, I can't remember which one of them. They even view our emotion, like sadness and anger, like as a weakness that needs to be solved as opposed to a tool to deal with life on life's terms, which is what we know they are. And what the promise of the Bible, the promise of the new covenant is, Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews uh, 11, is that I will, you have this heart of stone, but I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, which is not a heart that feels less. It's a heart that feels more. It's a heart that, but it feels honestly and it feels true. He never once said, I'm going to give you a new brain, a new, uh, you have a heart, a brain of stone. I'm going to give you a brain of flesh. He's giving us a new heart, a new conscience, a new identity of who we are. And then from that, we make the decisions that are. And, and this side of heaven, you know, that's why Romans is such a great book, because this side of heaven, I mean, Paul, the guy that wrote two thirds of the New Testament, spends all of chapter seven talking about why do I do the things I don't want to do? I want to do this and I, I didn't do it. I should have done that. And I didn't, I shouldn't have done this. And I did. And towards the end of that chapter, he says, who is going to save me from this body of flesh, this evil body? And he's, he, uh, it's right at the end of chapter seven and thank God through Christ Jesus. And then chapter eight, verse one, and therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning that on this side of heaven, we're still going to be having those struggles. And the, the grace of God is what covers us with this, which is why these bloggers and tweeters that make me just so angry that are just literally sitting out there shooting at people in Christianity that are, that are making mistakes, that are sinning. Of course they're sinning. They're humans. 
Of course they are. They're literally hammering them with with the law, the law, the law, as opposed to grace. You know, and the idea being, well, there's there there was vic, there was a victim of this. He was mean and he hurt their feelings. Well, of course, he hurt their feelings. We all there's no such thing as a victimless sin. And if there's no victimless sin, then everybody gets the scarlet letter and everybody is Hester Prynne. But that's not what the gospel promises us. We have to give. We don't have to. We desperately need to give each other that kind of grace because it's the grace that God gave us because it was never going to be about us earning our way into it. And we couldn't AI our way into it. We couldn't computer chip our way into it. We can't religiously make laws and legislate our way into it. It's only the gospel that takes us into it. Yeah, and we experienced a lot of that over the past couple of years during COVID. We tried to legislate a virus. It's like, so try to create rules around a virus. It's like the most it's the most incredible metaphor uh, for for sin in our lives uh, imaginable. I mean, do you remember like even hearing these guys that are so smart and they if you get them in an unguarded moment on a podcast interview, whatever, they'd say something like how surprised they were at how humans responded to this. What? Like, how dumb do you have to be in the, you know, it's, the, it's Paul and Corinthians, right? You ever increasing in knowledge and never, never knowing the truth. Like, the idea that they were shocked by that is honestly such great proof of, like, you don't understand humanity at all. Like, we've said that, right? You, you guys know everything about biology and you know nothing about humanity. Those rules were never, ever going to work. And the fact of the matter is, is if this was a virus that was killing 90% of the people or whatever, there was like a high, high, high risk, they wouldn't have had to legislate any of it because we would have all been so scared and hiding ourselves, you know. But instead of that, they had to try to make us afraid to make us, uh, I, I don't remember who said it, I just heard it recently, you know, it's not love or hate that are the two most powerful uh, emotions or feelings, it's fear. That's right, it's fear. That is the most powerful one, which is why there's a fear not for every day of the year in the Bible because Bible understands humanity way better than Dr. Fauci. C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity that you shared on Sunday is really good. It's a, it's a good uh, calibration. He said this, keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Mm. He's so well written. Right? Like, that's the—and the, by the way, I didn't actually get to that in the sermon. Um, this is why we have deeper. That's right. Because I'm looking at the clock going, oh, man, that, <laughs> that's the Lewis thing. But, but the parking lot, you know, because um, he actually—that's from a part of mere Christianity where he's actually talking about— your new self, your new identity. Um, part of the idea is that like when I'm making bad decisions, when I am in sin, it's, it's, uh, it's because I forgot who I was. Uh, I'm forgetting who I am. And he, he's this, it's like a pretty long portion of this book, but he says your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours and yours, just because it's his will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will only come when you're looking for him. Does it sound strange that the same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters, even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making. Even in literature and art, no man bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence, how often it has been told before, you will nine times out of 10 become original without ever even noticing it. 
The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions, favorite wishes every day, death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. And then he goes right into what you read and what was so powerful about that that we didn't get to, but is if you're looking for your identity, start looking for Jesus. And your identity comes real natural to that. That's Romans 12, chapter 1. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable. You know, him being transformed, renewing your mind. Then you will know your, his will for your life. You'll know your identity with it. And if you spend your entire life, which is, again, what is what our culture is telling us right now. Look inside of myself. I can eventually figure out who I am. It is created an entire generation of depressed and anxious and afraid um, young people who, who are, of course, that way, because that, that, that's literally a fool's errand, and they'll never find it, and they'll keep changing their mind about it, as opposed to the, the biblical answer, which is, I mean, the Bible knows humans way better than humans know humans, and that's it. Go looking for Jesus, what John did. I'm pointing at him, and that's when looking at him, he knows his own identity. Yeah, it's a real gospel moment. I mean, it is the gospel. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the hope that we have, not through ourselves but through Christ Jesus. Yeah. It's the hope that we have. Yeah. An identity as a son of God. It's pretty good. Right? <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> you know, I mean, you and I both grew up pretty, uh, you know, pretty Midwestern, yeah. pretty middle class. You know, th- there's an identity with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're, you know, if your dad is like the guy that owned the company that my dad worked for. Right. You have different access to things. That's true. You know, different uh, way of walking even. You know, and in our sinful nature, it's cocky and it's whatever. But there's just something about that, the identity of that, that I'm a son of God. I'm not the servant on the outside knocking, trying to get in and begging for something. I pray different. I repent different. You know, and, I, and maybe it's our whole life is just a, is a losing of the old identity and, a, and an owning of the new but that's John one twelve. To those who believed, he gave power to become the sons of God. Yeah, I was like on uh, over the weekend. We had an opportunity to go to a Titans game, right? You know, a preseason game, and we knew a guy yeah. who had access to one of the best seats in the house. It was a suite, right? We weren't we weren't up in the three hundred section, up in the nosebleeds, as they call it. Yeah, uh, we got to go to the suite because we knew the guy. Yeah, we're slamming chicken fingers and buffalo chicken, you know, sliders and watching a Cold game. Cold drinks just kept coming. Yeah. More of this, more more of everything. Temperature yeah. controlled area. Because <laughs> yeah. we had ac- we had access. Yeah. And that's the beauty of what Jesus gave us is a restoration to that access that was meant to be in Eden. The the connection that was lost has been restored through Christ and those who believe and give power to become the sons of God. You know, I love that because it wasn't to those who worked hard enough to those who got their devotions in every day to those, those are all important things in your life and will make you uh, richer and better and for your identity, but it's not to get your identity. It's out of your identity that you do those things. Because we didn't have to work to get into that suite. He's just a friend. I just had to show up. Just had to show up. 
and point to that, like, yeah, I'm with that guy. Yeah. They're like, yeah, come on in. Yeah. Have the little thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's with him. You know him? Yeah. It was easy. I went to a concert with a friend once who, um, fairly prominent, let's shall we say, in this community. And I'm realizing he goes to concerts differently than I do. <laughs> you know, and if you're, if you're kind of famous, you kind of have to. I mean, how do you, are, are you going to stand in line outside with... You know, and you, I suppose you could, but you literally would never get anything done. So he had his own parking thing. You know, we had our own little access to the show. Like uh, people kept bringing food and stuff in and like, dude, I could get used to this kind of now. But parenthetically, that I have not done that again. But be that as it may, I had access to that suite, which was different and a different way of living. And that kind of access is what he promises us in Hebrews. So you can enter the throne of grace boldly in your time of need. Like I, I did say this on Sunday, but. Yeah, the only person that can walk in to a king, you know, especially in that culture when these things were written, to walk into the the throne room of a king and not have their head lopped off like you do not belong in here, is their five year old son, like can march right in there, you know, and throw the ball around or whatever. Dad's over here like running the country, but I have access to it, and that's the access that Hebrews is promising us. We're heading into chapter two this weekend. Is that right? Mm hmm. And uh, what's, what are you excited the most about this next chapter? Oh, man. Water into wine. It's a pretty good story. It is so fascinating. Because on the one hand, you're like, okay, did he just literally just make a bunch of drunk people more drunk? Like, there's a theology, like, what the world? What's Jesus up to here? Um, but the, literally, because the Bible, there are no accidents. There is nothing. There's you know, no jot nor tittle that is not, you know, for some purpose. Everything from the stone pots to the wedding, it's mm-hmm. all points to Jesus. It all points to his mission. The first recorded miracle mm-hmm. in Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, the Jesus did, yeah. The Jesus did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, mean, I was joking about him walking on his bathwater, but I bet it did stink to be like, you know what I mean? Jesus' cousin, like in school, man, Jesus got an A. Again, well, he's God. Of course he got an A. Um, but yeah, this is his first recorded miracle. And I'm intrigued because his mom, like, they're out of wine, Jesus. Like, she wouldn't have, she didn't, she'd never seen him do a miracle before. So I don't know what she was looking for from him in that moment. Other than Jesus, there's no wine here with the party. You know, it's, it was just, it's, it's a fascinating exchange. Yeah, and Jesus, and well, we'll talk about it on Sunday, but there's a reason why this was his first miracle. Like he literally preached the gospel with this miracle in a way that is like deep and profound. He would have been the guy in shop class that was just crushing it. Do you ever have shop class? I did. Did you, Mr. Laniger, who was missing, <laughs> missing he was missing his uh, ring finger. And he was your shop class teacher. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was there the day he lost it. In, oh, no. In the lathe. Yeah. Have you ever seen a finger come off? Oh, gosh. You don't uh, unsee that. It makes a weird thud oh, sound. Oh, man. But, yeah, Mr. Laniger, uh, like, just like, just lobbed it right off, dude. We're like, like, that. there's a moment when you're 15 thinking, surely this can't be my responsibility. <laughs> surely I'm not the guy <laughs> that they're counting on to help Mr. Laniger figure this out. Uh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And what I don't remember, and I wish I, I, he's probably, he's probably moved on since uh, to eternity because he was not that young then, but I don't remember what we did with the finger. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't remember someone picking it up and throwing it in an ice chest or anything. I just tossed it in the trash can yeah. with the other scraps. <laughs> yeah. I just vividly remember us going, uh, 
<laughs> We're all looking at you. There's only like 12 of us in our shop class, but yeah. Man, but yeah I, was, I did have shop class. So. I was terrible in shop class. I was not great. I mean, that's probably a surprise to no one, but... A little bit because of your artistic side. So you didn't view that in any sort of an artistic... I mean, okay, so in, I remember in shop class, we did had to, we had to do the you know the classic birdhouse thing, uh, <laughs> which was just... <laughs> Terrible. I forgot, about, I forgot about birdhouses. And then, but we did this one segment in shop class where we had to like bend and make something out of uh, like plastics. Did you ever do plastics? No, in shop? that wasn't shop class. That must have been an Ohio factory worker <laughs> shop class. <laughs> but we had to like we had the opportunity to like make something out of like bending and heating up plastics, like you know, and make I don't know just various things. And uh, I think I made a clipboard. And. Uh, it was it actually it was actually kind of artistic and came out kind of cool. I do remember that. But a clipboard, yeah. yeah, that was pretty advanced uh, shop work. But... <laughs> well, we went to we did we did go to school a decade apart, so maybe. Well, we had to, but we had to like build a deck. Like we were like <laughs> we were the kids that like okay. they used shop class to to do tasks around town. Basically, well, yeah, we need to fix the, this part of the school, so we'll send the slave labor over there, and you know, little white kids and make them do all the work for us for free. No, so which I means there's a whole lot of stuff that wasn't square. It's terrible. You know, that's not really plumb. Well, you got a 15-year-old kid and a shop teacher missing his ring finger, so I don't know what you're expecting, but this is what you got. Yeah. Jesus was crushing shop class, man. He was the master carpenter at like 12. We are, we're excited to get through this series. It is, uh, there's so much to cover. Next week, I anticipate, is going to be just a lot more to discuss out of chapter two. So if you're listening now, and it's before uh, the teaching, um, you have have some time to, to read up and catch up. If you're new to the podcast, man, we invite you to to jump back uh, a couple years with us. This is year this we're heading into year three of the podcast, if you can believe it. And um, if you if you're just catching up, we encourage you to jump back and and, and listen to a few of our earlier podcasts. And um, we're just we're just glad that you decided to jump in with us each and every week. We're excited to to meet you and greet you, and uh, glad that you would join us even in person on a Sunday. We look forward to next week.